Last Sunday morning, we began a little three-part sermon mini-series entitled, What Do You Fear? What do you fear? And in those first two sermons, we discussed in detail the incredible love and the incredible strength and the incredible power of the Lord our God and how we need not fear any earthly thing as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling. We talked about last Sunday night how that included even, even death itself. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. Jesus came to break that power, to take away that fear. I think that both of last Sunday's sermons could be summed up real well by the words of Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 5. Let these words just wash over you and get into your heart this morning. The Psalm of David reads as follows. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, David says. And David knew something about having enemies and having those encamp against him. And he said, though they do that, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. You notice his focus? You notice his confidence and his concentration? Doesn't matter about all those things that are going on around him. He said, I'm not going to be afraid. There's one thing I've desired of the Lord, and that's going to be what I seek. That's going to be what I focus on. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David said, that's all I want. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Do you see why David didn't fear? And finally, verse 6, David's response. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I need have no fear of anything on this earth. I just need to fear and walk with God. This morning, as we conclude that little three-part sermon mini-series, What Do You Fear? I want to take a look at how we can truly test, how we can truly verify, how we can truly identify what it means and looks like to live a life of godly fear by God's definition. 
and hence to truly need fear nothing else on earth. What does a life look like? According to God's definition that is truly lived in simply the fear of God and nothing else. Well, as Solomon said and defined in Ecclesiastes 12:13 that we also quoted last week, to fear God is to keep his commandments. The rest of that statement as we begin this morning is to fear God and keep his commandments no matter the cost or the consequences. I want you to turn with me this morning, if, as you, if you would, as we look at that, in Genesis chapter 22. To fear God is to keep his commandments, no matter the cost or the consequences, no matter the personal cost or consequences. We see this very thing in the life of Abraham when God tested him and told him to sacrifice his son Isaac. Most of us know the story. God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac, so Abraham makes preparation. He goes in Genesis chapter 22, and his faith is tested. And look what it says beginning in verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and he, he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him for now I know, here it comes, now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. A life that truly fears God and needs fear nothing else. What that looks like according to God is to fear him and keep his commandments no matter the cost or consequences. That is what it means to fear God. True godly fear is to be unwilling to hold back anything from God, no matter how dear it may be to us if God asks for it. If God asks us to surrender something up to him, no matter how dear it is to us, to truly fear God says, I will give you what you want, God. I will give you what you've asked for. Brethren, that would include our time, our talents, our efforts, our finances, or even our family ties, if that's what it takes, such as we see right here in Genesis chapter 22. That would include our life itself, if we were asked to give it. Even Jesus Christ the Lord, even the Son of God himself, gave up his earthly life was willing to and did give up his earthly life because he had a godly fear. It says in Hebrews 5, 7 through 9 of Jesus, in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation 
to all who obey him. Jesus' prayers were heard because of his reverent or godly fear. Jesus showed his godly fear by being willing to obey God no matter what it cost him. Jesus was obedient to God even if it meant giving up his life. What else does the Bible list as identifying marks of a true godly fear besides that? Well, here's another one. In Exodus chapter 18, when Moses' father-in-law comes to him, Jethro, and they're talking, and, and Moses there is just solving all these disputes and dispensing the word of God, and whenever anybody had a conflict, they would come to Moses and he worked, you know, long hours, and his father-in-law saw that, and his father-in-law gave him some advice, and he basically says there in that chapter, in Exodus chapter 18, he says to Moses, he says, what you need to do, this is too much for you, you're gonna wear yourself out, you can't do this, you can't go from morning till night dispensing knowledge and solving every little dispute that everybody has, you can't do that, it's too much for one man. So he said, here's what I need, what, what, here's what you ought to do. You need to delegate some men. Verses 19 through 21, he said, listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, watch this now, Good advice here for Moses. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. Why don't you think about those phrases? He said, what you need to do is delegate some of this to other people. You need to select men, able men such as fear. There's our word, fear God. Men of truth, hating covetousness. And from that passage we learn that men who truly fear God are men of truth. That means they are men of the word. That means they are men like the Apostle Paul who would not tamper with God's word. To truly fear God and be those God-fearing men. These are men who are diligent to present themselves approved to God as workers who do not need to be ashamed because they're always studying, they're learning how to rightly divide the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Men of truth are those who fear God by God's definition. Another identifying mark of godly fear found in this very passage out of Exodus chapter 18 is that men who fear God are men who hate covetousness. The Hebrew word covetous means unjust or dishonest gain. That's what it means. So men who truly fear God, a mark of truly fearing God is somebody who hates unjust or dishonest gain, sort of like a bribe as we see in Micah chapter 3 verses 8 through 12. Why is this so important? You're putting men in these positions to solve disputes, to mete out godly counsel. Why is it so important you have men 
who don't want anything to do. They hate covetousness. They hate dishonest gain because what he's saying is you need men who can't be bought. You need men who can't be bribed. Godly men cannot be bribed. Their love for God and his word on one hand and their subsequent hatred of bribes and dishonest gain on the other hand is what helps identify them as God-fearing and makes them able men. Exodus chapter 18 and verse 21. That's what makes them able. That's what shows they fear God. Think about the application today. What does the Bible say? In 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, when it comes to elders and those who lead us, both of those passages in Titus and Timothy have the phrase, not greedy for money. Because when you have leaders who solve disputes, when you have leaders who are godly men and God-fearing men, they are men who won't take a bribe. They can't be bought. They're not for sale. You see, those men who fear God understand they're not for sale because they've already been bought by the blood of Christ. Another mark of a person who truly fears God is that he will not oppress or mistreat his brethren. Leviticus 25 and verse 17. Another person or another mark, another part of defining by God's word who is a God-fearing person, they are somebody who will not mistreat and oppress their brethren. They realize that to do so, to mistreat or oppress their brethren, is to mistreat God. And I want you to think about the impact of that statement. They understand that to do so is to mistreat their master. Matthew 25, verse 45. That is something that those who truly fear God would never dare to do to him. Once heard one of those old preacher illustrations about <clears throat> this class, Sunday school class, seniors, uh, high school class. And they come in one day and their Sunday school teacher's got a dartboard up there on the board, up there on the wall, and got a bunch of darts. And wants everybody to just throw darts at the dartboard. And he said, what I want you to do, he said, is I want you to think of your worst enemy in school, or that person who's run you down, or that person, that person that you don't like, and really just throw those darts in there. Work out your aggression. They begin throwing. Even as somebody in the church, when they've done quite a bit, he peels the face off of the dartboard. And under it, there's a picture of Jesus. And he's full of holes. And my point in saying that is this. God-fearing people are those who will not mistreat their brethren because they understand that to do so is to mistreat their master. Let me prove this to you from the scriptures, not just a preacher illustration. Watch how this works in Acts chapter 22. Please turn to Acts 22. To mistreat and oppress our brethren shows a lack of godly fear because to mistreat or oppress them is to mistreat the master himself. We see this very, very clearly in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, the Apostle Paul is retelling of his conversion experience 
on the road to Damascus, watch very carefully the wording, Acts 22, beginning at verse 4. Look what it says. Paul says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness in all the council of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. I want you to notice who Paul persecuted. Paul took brethren in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ, first century Church of Christ members, and he did this to them. Paul did not do this. He was not there, as far as we know, anywhere near the foot of the cross. He didn't put Jesus in chains. He didn't go to Damascus looking for Jesus. He went there looking for Christians, God's people. But look at the wording of the next few verses. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground, watched this, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see it? Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my, my, my spiritual siblings? He didn't say, why are you persecuting my church? That's not what Jesus said. He said, why are you persecuting me? You know why? Because to persecute the Christians is to persecute Christ. A man who fears God will not oppress and mistreat his brethren. Jesus even repeats it again. So I answered, verse 8, said, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. You see it? We need to be very careful about persecuting misusing, mistreating our brothers and sisters in Christ because to do so, Jesus takes it very, very, very personally. A man who truly fears God will not oppress or mistreat his brethren, Leviticus 25, 17. You know, perhaps Moses best summed up what a life devoted to godly fear truly looks like for the people of his day Maybe he summed it up best in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Please turn there. What does it mean to truly fear God and fear God only? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Look at verses 12 and 13 of Deuteronomy 10. Moses shows us God's definition of what it means to truly fear God. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God? And then he's going to define it. Here's what it means. What does he require of you but to fear the Lord your God? To, number one, walk in all his ways, and to, number two, love him, to number three, serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. By the way, in the New Testament tells us we need to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And while that's true, we see right here that that love involves service. We were not saved to sit in the pews. Serving God with all our heart and soul with everything we've got matters as well. And number four, to keep the commandments of the Lord 
and his statutes which I command you today for your good. This is the requirement of God. This is what it means to fear God. Why? Look at the next few verses and he'll tell you why we need to fear God and do these things. Indeed, heaven, verse 14, and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth and all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Brethren, he chose their fathers, but you know what? In the New Testament, we have an even stronger and more intense link to God in that we are the chosen in Christ Jesus. That carries even more impact as God's New Testament people. Therefore, he told them, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer, for the Lord your God is the God of gods. He is the Lord of lords. He is the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the strangers, stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. That's why we fear him, because of all the power he has, because of everything he's done for us. That's why we fear him and love him and serve him and keep his commandments. That's why we need not fear any earthly thing as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling, as long as we fear God and keep his commandments. Because God has all power. Because he is the only God. He is the great and awesome God. Later on, Samuel would echo these same sentiments. And here's something I want you to keep in mind as we turn to this next text. Even after all the evil and the failures and the sins of these people, even after all they've done, don't lose sight of that in this next passage where Samuel basically echoes what Moses just said. 1 Samuel chapter 12, please turn there, would you please? Our God is such an awesome, loving, patient God with us. His mercies are new every morning. Even when we fail and we mess up, God just wants us to try again and get it right. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning at verse 19, after the people have asked for a king, all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. They knew. They said we've added to all of our sins. They understood. They had failed God. They had sinned. They were God's people. But they had sinned against God. And now on top of everything else, they've gone out and done something really dumb. They've asked for a king. Now Samuel, at God's command had told the people, look, if you get a king to lead you, he's going to do all these terrible things to you. He's going to oppress you and all this. They said, we don't care. We want a king. And we know the story. Samuel goes back to God and, and God said to him, not to be sad because he said, they've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me from being king over them. And so they had rejected God. They'd done all these terrible things and, and they knew it. But then look at the next verse, verse 20. 
even after all that, even after their failings, then Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. There's no denying it. There's no hiding it. There's no, there's no contradicting it. He said, you know what? You're right. You've done all this terrible stuff. That's it. God's had it with you. No, no, no. That's not what he says. He says, you have done all this wickedness yet. Do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. You know what he's telling them? You don't need to fear if you'll just turn around and fear God and do what's right, even, even though you've messed up really bad. And do not turn, verse 21, aside, for then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. He said, don't make the same mistakes again you've made in the past. But you know what? God still loved them. God still wanted them for his people. Verse 22, for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Look at all God did to make you and me, his people, under the new covenant. Look at the price he paid to make us his people. He did not make us his people just to throw us to the wolves. He didn't make us his people just to give up on us. He didn't make us his people just so that he could cast us aside. Like I said at the conclusion of last Sunday night's lesson, if God wanted to give up on us and he just wanted to throw us away, he, could, he was smart enough to have done it long before he sent his son to die for us, but he didn't. He sent Jesus and he made us his people. And people, I'm telling you, the Lord will not forsake his people, verse 22, for his great namesake, because it pleased him to make us his people. Verse 23 continues. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And I will teach you the good and the right way. Did you catch that? Sometimes people really mess up. Sometimes people do dumb things. Sometimes people do things that God does not approve of. But when they come to us and they ask us to pray for them because they know they've really messed up and they say, please pray for me, it appears from verse 23 that it would be a sin not to. He says, Far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good in the right way. Only fear the Lord. He goes back to that same thing. If you people, if you don't want to make these mistakes again, just fear God. Only fear the Lord and serve him. Notice how serving him always comes right on the heels of fear in so many of these passages. Fear the Lord and serve him in truth and with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. Stop and consider what God has done for you. Stop and think about the power of God. Stop and think about the price he paid to make you his people. Consider these things and how can you help but fear him and serve him. Joshua told them in Joshua 24, 14, that fearing the Lord means serving the Lord in sincerity and truth. And you know, when Joshua makes that statement in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, where he said, you can serve whatever gods you want, who have gods your fathers worship, the gods of the Amorites, land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, we, I shall fear. As for me and my house, we shall fear the Lord. Remember when he said that? Did you notice? In that text, and we talked about that text at length in that sermon uh, just a little while ago, no, not one. 
But did you, know, did you notice what Joshua said? In order to serve the Lord, sometimes you have to give up the religion of your family. The gods of your fathers. He said, you can worship the gods of your fathers if you want to, but as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Doesn't make any difference how your father served the Lord. Doesn't make any difference that past family heritage and religion. You need to be right with God. And you need to do it the way God said. Now, the same is true for us today according to Matthew 10, 24 through 38. I'm going to go through a list for those of you taking notes real quick and well even if you're not then you can at least listen I'm not going to turn to these passages but I just want us to have this list there are other elements which allow us to recognize whether or not we fear God like we should according to God's definition for example those who fear God act faithfully and with a loyal heart Second Chronicles 19.9. Those who fear God come into his house worshiping reverently, knowing that we're only allowed to be here as a result of his mercy and goodness and not our own. Psalm 5, verse 7. Another way we know whether or not we fear God as we ought is whether or not we tremble at his presence. Do we, have we lost sight today of what it means to tremble at his word? To tremble at his presence, being afraid of his judgments. Psalm 119, verse 120. Isaiah 8, 13. And Jeremiah 5, and verse 22. Another way that we realize that we fear God or another sign is by not being wise in our own eyes, but hating and departing from evil, pride, and arrogance. Bible talks about that's what it means to fear God. Proverbs 3 and verse 7 and Proverbs 8 and verse 13. Another way we know whether or not we truly fear God according to God's commandments and definition is not letting our heart envy sinners. And I'm going to ask you to turn with me on this one to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. And especially for our young people, I want you to really just bear down and consider this intensely for a moment. One of the signs that we truly fear God as we ought to in God's eyes is by not letting our heart envy sinners. You know, sometimes high school, college age, those sorts of things, sometimes it's easy to look at, it is at any age, but particularly younger, it's easy to look at other people our own age and say, wow, they get to do this and that, and they get to do this and that, and life is so good, and they can go do this, and I can't because I'm a Christian. Young people in particular, don't let your heart envy sinners. Look what it says in Proverbs 23, 17 and 18. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. <coughs> the writer here 
of Proverbs is trying to let you know, listen, just fear the Lord and do what is right. Don't envy them when they're not doing what God wants them to do, for surely there is a hereafter. This reminds me, God is saying, look, there is a heaven. Your, your faith will be rewarded. You don't have to envy those who are not following me. Your, your hope will not be cut off. It's real, and I'm, and I'm waiting, and I want you here. It reminds me of Jesus' words in, in John 14. One through three, where he said, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. It's that hope and that's a, that encouragement. And he's letting his disciples know, look, this is real. I'm telling you, don't let go of your faith. As King Solomon also echoed in Ecclesiastes 8, 12, and 13, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God, who fear before him, but it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days, which are as a shadow, because he does not fear before God. Solomon again makes it so clear. In both Testaments, old and new, we see a lot of examples of a lot of prideful and, dare I say, pitiful, prideful people who did not choose the fear of the Lord. They did not choose to fear God and humble themselves before him. And we read of what awful, miserable, sinful, and self-destructive existences they experienced. We see them in places like 2 Kings 17 and Romans 3, 10 through 18 and a whole host of other places. People who just did not choose the fear of the Lord and believe me, their end was nothing to envy. But by contrast, what a completely opposite, what an absolutely awesome and incredibly beautiful existence is experienced by those who diligently seek, find, fear, and submit and entrust themselves totally to God. What a, what a beautiful existence. What, what incredible promises, what a joyful life, what a blessed existence those who fear God have by contrast. Right as Dee was getting up to do the announcements, I went out for just a moment, and I put a list on that little slanted table out there on the left of the verses I'm about to give you so you don't have to write them down. It's one sheet, and so just listen and let them wash over you. I want to give you some of those awesome promises from God from both the books of Psalms and Proverbs about how incredible life is for those who fear him. Just listen to these, and again, the list is out there, and if we run out of them, I'll make more and you can get one tonight. They're beautiful. Just listen. From the book of Psalms, I have seven. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. God's eye is on you if you fear God. He's watching over you. Another one, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. That's 34-7. Another one, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him, Psalm 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all of this knowledge. And good understanding, Psalm 111, verse 10. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Isn't it wonderful to know when you face some of these things that God is your help? This God who created everything, that he is your shield, that you can trust in him. But the Bible clearly says, those of you who fear him and trust in him, he is the, you are the one that he helps and shields. Psalm 145, 19, he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them. Isn't that a beautiful promise? He will hear their cry and save them. All you got to do is fear God. What a beautiful life we have who do. And finally, Psalm 147, 11, the Lord, listen to this. You ever heard that old saying? Maybe as a husband you understand this saying. What do you get for the person who has everything, Right? Guys ever struggle to, to give your wife something that, you know, she's, she's got everything and you can't figure out and you've lived together all these years and blah, blah, blah. What do you get the person who, who has everything? Well, let me tell you something. God has everything. God can make anything he wants. He can speak it into existence. He can do anything. He, he's all powerful. And yet there is something. There is something that we can give God that brings him pleasure. There's something we can give God that he delights in, that makes him happy. Listen to this. Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord takes pleasure. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Do you hope in God's mercy? You fear God? That delights God. That brings God pleasure. From the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord prolongs days, but the years of the wicked will be shortened, Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death, Proverbs 14.27. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble, Proverbs 15, 16, and finally, the fear of the Lord, listen to this, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. The person who fears the Lord will be satisfied in life because God will give them everything that they need, even when times are rough, in order to get through it. As I said, that list is out here on that table. Let's move to the New Testament for just a couple of minutes before we close. After telling the first century Church of Christ in sinful Corinth that God's incredible promises are only for those who will choose to submit themselves to God, that God's incredible promises are only for those who will then separate themselves from the sinful world around them. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Because God has done so much for us, because God is capable of doing so much, because God is all that God is, 
Therefore, because we have these promises from him, let us perfect holiness in the fear of God. That's just another element by which we can identify those who truly fear him. Are they trying to live more holy each day? Absolute and God-given beauty is in the outcome of this process. We've talked now for three lessons about fearing God and God only and needing not to fear anything else if we do. But here's the beauty of this process. As we fear the Lord and we choose to hence devote ourselves to living and learning and loving and growing in these good graces and growing closer to God. God slowly allows this process to transform itself from fear to the purest of love, trust, and adoration. What does the Bible say in 1 John chapter 4, verses 17 through 21? It basically tells us that perfect love casts out fear. As we fear God and we learn about his power and we, we trust him more and we get more into who he is and we, we adore him and we reverence him and we, we obey him, we fall more in love with him. And it gets to the point where love casts out fear because we're just so in love with God and we've learned to trust him like, like tiny little children love their mom and dad and, and, and they're secure and, and we become that. It's a process. Therefore, Hebrews 12, 28 and 9, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God. The kingdom is about serving God acceptably. How do we serve him acceptably? With reverence. That means acknowledging who he is and what he can do and what he has done and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Again, Hebrews 12, 28 and 9. I want to share one more passage and then we'll close. As is revealed to us in Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 8, the eternal reward for those who fear God here will be unimaginable up there. The reward for those who fear God and keep his commandments here will be unimaginable up there. Revelation chapter 19, beginning at verse 5, this is what it says. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. Isn't that going to be an awesome day for those in Christ? 
For those who feared God here, that is their reward. Are you ready? Are you ready? Do you truly fear God here? According to God's definition, according to those elements we've covered in this lesson today. For example, are you fully devoted to serving him and serving in his kingdom with reverence and godly fear, Hebrews 12, 28? Is your life a life devoted to seeking and serving God, covered with righteous acts. Are you part of his church? Are you part of his blood-bought church, his bride? If the answer to any of those questions is no, then you need to make some changes, including the starting point, if you've never done that, of repenting and being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You do that, and then God can add you his holy ones, because your sins are gone. As in Acts 2 and verse 47, he added to the church daily those who were being saved that way. Our God is an awesome God. If you have a need this morning to either be baptized for the prayers of the church or anything else we can do, please come to the front as we stand and sing.